Good morning. Let me, let me pray. God, I help, help, God, help me to sort through uh, these papers and my thoughts and uh, help us to worship. Pray that you would have mercy on us and reveal yourself and call us to you. Pray each one of us would be attentive to where you are calling us to you. God, help us not to quench the spirit, to suppress truth, to hear your voice and fall on you. Amen. When was the last time you repented? I mean, really. I'm online. There's a lot of accusation. Man, boy, that's just easy, isn't it? Yeah. I do it. It's just so easy. And yet repentance is kind of the foundation of the Christian life, right? We can repent and come to Jesus. And then maybe every once in a while, maybe twice more in our lives, we'll repent again. And I mean repent, right? Not just lament. Many of us are good at that. We lament at where we are. Man, I just... Here's where my heart's not right, and just lament. But repent means that it changes, like you recognize the horror of where you've been, and there's a change going forward. By way of illustration, today I witnessed the Cedar Rapids worship leader, Dylan, pull up into the parking lot, and Glenn and a couple of us were standing by the sidewalk, and Dylan, understandably distracted by our beauty, was looking at us. And parked, he double parked. <laughs> and I pointed it out to the guys. I was like, this is a terrible, terrible parking job. <laughs> now, I want to contrast him and my wife. My wife double parks all the time. <laughs> she never repents. I don't think she even laments. I'll be like, babe, this is, we're living in a society. You can't just live this way. And she's just like, I'm going to Target. Like, <laughs> lamenting would be a good step for her. <laughs> Dylan repented. He backed up, straightened his car, and got into the parking spot. And I, w I was praising God. <laughs> but actually, right, so it's silly. But there's a difference. We, we are good at lamenting, right? And then resting in the fact that God is gracious and he is. But do we know that grace empowers? That grace doesn't just cover. That grace moves us forward. And we look at our lives and we look at our weakness and our patterns. And we lament. But I just, this is my heart for today. That God would... Reveal to us that we can repent by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this passage is about. All of Isaiah, calling Israel to repent, to turn to the Lord. If, we've been, if you've been following along, um, the past few chapters of Isaiah, we've seen Isaiah look forward to the end times, right? And all these promises about the new heavens and new earth and wiping every tear away and there will be resurrection and all these promises that we cling to. And right now what he does is he zooms back in to the current context, which is Assyria is coming. 
So in the next few chapters, you're going to see that. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, being faced with the impending invasion. Assyria is at the gates. Now I'm going to focus on chapter 28, 14 through 29, but let me go back to the beginning of 28 and just highlight a couple things so we can see the context here. Chapter 28, verse 2, Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong. Who is that? If I just told you, man, God has one who's mighty and strong, you might think, it's Jesus, yeah. It's the king of Assyria. Why? Because God has been pronouncing judgment on Israel for forsaking God. And Israel has not been listening to God, listening to the prophets, listening to his word. And so God is going to make Israel hear him. 28 verse 3, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot. Ephraim is just one of the nations of Israel. It's more judgment. You're full of pride and debauchery, drunkenness. Even the religious leaders in verse 7, these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. They're blind to the precepts of God because they've made friends with the world. And all the tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. So I'm sending my strong one because they won't hear my word. Verse 10. Here's how they respond to God's word. It's precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. So they're going to hear from God through Assyria. Verse 11. By people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak. So God is speaking when he sends Assyria. God speaks through his word. God speaks through his prophets. God speaks through his spirit. And God speaks through the king of Assyria. They won't listen. The word of God has become line upon line upon line upon line. It's just empty. I have zero interest in it. It's become redundant and repetitive. I've heard it all before. And God says, you will hear through a strong one. I will speak through Assyria. <laughs> I've talked recently about, you know, how God shifts nations. And we can see him doing that globally. And it seems like there's some shift going on in the U.S., some shift of balance of power and values. And some of you really lament that, right? You want, you want the old America, some of you see the coming of a new age and you go, yes, yes, we need a new America. But just remember that that's probably an Assyrian king. God is speaking when he moves nations. Job 12.23 says this, he makes nations rise and then fall. He builds up some and abandons others. God is moving through history if you remember, his primary purpose is to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ, and he'll do anything to accomplish that purpose, including making nations rise and fall. And one of the consistent messages through history is this. Trust God. You trust in this nation? Its fall says trust God. You see this coming nation that's just like this previous nation? Its approach, 
Trust God. Follow him. Lean into him. Fall on him. And how do you know if that's happening? So God is shaking things. I heard a sermon this week where a pastor said, it is a mercy to live in a world where everything is breaking. Why? Because it reveals the futility or vincibility of the earth. So how can we tell then if, if through that shaking we're learning to trust God? There, is, there would be an increase of joy, rest, love, worship, sacrifice, hospitality, repentance, and love for enemies as opposed to increased anxiety, accusation, rivalry, bitterness, fear, and mocking enemies. Now, I've been there, and I've been here confessing before, like, here's where I am, and here's where I've been angry. Well, where have you been? If you look at the situation over the last several months, would you say, man, I am learning to trust God, and it's manifest in increased sacrifice and peace and love for enemies and prayer and generosity and hospitality and clinging to the word and hearing God's voice? Or would you say, I'm angry, I'm upset, I share articles more than I share the gospel, God is calling us to lean into him, to trust him. Israel, God was calling them to lean into him. I'm sending Assyria and I trust God. Well, what did they do? They made a covenant with death. Let's talk about what that is. Verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers. Those are the ones that say precept upon precept, line upon line, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said... We have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. We have made lies our refuge, and falsehood we have taken shelter. Here's what's going on. Prophet Isaiah has been sent to Israel and said, Assyria is coming. And these rulers in Jerusalem have a confidence in something. They're not worried. They say, that's fine. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. Why? We have made a covenant with death. What does that mean? Peek ahead to chapter 30. Verse 1. It's God speaking again. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan. You have a plan. You've made a covenant. It's not my plan. You've made an alliance a covenant, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. They have made a covenant with Egypt. That's what they say. We've made a covenant with Egypt. We take shelter in Pharaoh, and God is saying that's a covenant with death. That's who you've made a covenant with, death. <laughs> and just think of all the surrounding nations who they go and run to, Egypt. If you know the history of Israel, they were enslaved. Isaiah comes and says, repent, trust God, there's destruction coming. And they go, oh, we have friends in this world, our former slaveholders. We'll go back to our former masters. Do you remember in the Old Testament when 
Moses was leading the Israelites out, and they were in the promise, or sorry, in the wilderness, right, waiting to go into the promised land, and they couldn't endure the timing of God and trust in his provision. They said, it's better to go back to Egypt. We'd rather be slaves than serve God. Israel's doing it again. One response to that, God is going to do two things. Number one, he's going to reveal the futility of trusting in this world and in men. If you fast forward to verse, so we're back in 28 now. Let's look at verses 18 through 22. This whip will come through. And as often as it passes through, it will take you. Morning by morning, it will pass through by day and night. And it will be sheer terror to understand the message. What's the message? God's the only one you can trust. But you can realize that in a moment of joy and breakthrough. Or you can realize it in a moment of sheer terror. And that's what he's saying. Do you, you're not, I've sent the prophets. I've sent my word and you are suppressing it. You're not listening. You will get the message and it will be in a moment of sheer terror. Let me use an analogy. Cigarettes. You've heard the warnings. You've seen the commercials. You've read the labels. You've heard the stories. You know the people. But it has become like precept upon precept upon precept. And then one day, at the doctor's, you finally hear the message in sheer terror. The truth will be known. And one of the things that's on my heart, I believe, God is calling us to identify these places where we're hiding and come to him before it's taken to the level of sheer terror. Because these things that we take refuge in, we've made a covenant with death. He's going to reveal the futility of hope in the world. And he's going to, in verse 18, lay a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. We'll talk about that a little more later. It's the contrast between Jesus, the invincible king, and the world, which is invincible. And God knows that we tend to take refuge in the world and to make a covenant with death. And he's saying, come on, come on. Don't let it escalate until you receive it in sheer terror. And for some of you, that mean, might mean you don't know Jesus at all. And religion is just this thing, and maybe you're here for some reason to feel good about yourself, or you're trying to hook up with a girl. And you suppress these things. It's not a big deal. And the word of God has become precept upon precept upon precept to you. And God is saying, you will get the message. Don't wait until it's sheer terror. Come to him. So we make covenants with death. Then there's the usual list. The things we trust in. Money. Work. Work is a good thing. And I can't psychoanalyze you or 
We're going to ask God to guide you, but I was talking with a man recently who has been out of work mostly. And he has spent years doing that. That is him. That is what he does. And this has been stripped away right now. And he stands revealed. And he's undone. And he needs God to come in there. To invite him to bring refuge into that. It's, it's not just, I lost my job. I can't pay the bills. It's who am I? Because I have made my identity putting my hand to the plow. And I can't, again, we're going to ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you, to speak to you, and be listening. Where are you hiding? Because this isn't some people. Well, I'm glad so-and-so is here to hear the message. You are so-and-so. Where are you hiding? Where are you suppressing? Where are you ignoring the prompts of the Spirit? Where are you playing with sheer terror. There's all kinds of stuff I could say in here about politics and how we run to Egypt and it was just I've said this before. These political leaders do not love you. You know when you hear all the pandemic talk and we want to know what's going on and all the numbers coming out and you hear people say, well, you know, you can't trust the numbers coming out of China. The implicit thing is that you can trust the U.S. You know those Chinese. Not like us. They're all lying. Don't trust them. It's all on there. And put our trust in, well, at least I have the church. <laughs> I was talking with someone last year who took our Redeemer 101 class. That's where if you're a guest, you come and you, know, you learn about Redeemer and God's calling you here. And I was on the phone with him and you know, he was saying, uh, you know, I just want to know if I can trust this church. And uh, and he had come out of a place of hurt with a previous church, and I understand that. So he wants to know, can he trust this church? And I just told him, you can't. Let me just beat you to the punch. Trust God. I love the church. I have betrayed the church. You have betrayed me. How do we love one another? By not clinging to one another. We put our trust in God. Love the church, don't trust the church. I trust my, at least I have my family. I want to hold, I see the craziness in the world and the political stuff and the, oh gosh, it's just insane. And I'll go, I just want to withdraw, right? And just withdraw and maybe just have my church and at least I have my family. And some of us have learned this week that our family is a shaky foundation. Love your family. But all grass will wither, right? The flowers shall fade. There's nowhere to go.
So maybe there's, what is it for you? What are you hiding in? What are you covenanting with that's, that's actually a covenant with death? Maybe it's some kind of sexual sin. So you know, it's going back to Egypt, right? That we, all of us have this story of coming to know Jesus and who we were and then being found in him. And we're not sinless, but you know, things manifest and we, we have temptations and Lord willing, we're fighting against them. But then sometimes we isolate some of those and we covenant with them. We go, this will be my friend. This will be my comfort. And so listen, just listen. I want you to ask a question to God right now. God, what am I hiding in? What am I covenanting with? What are you calling me out of? What am I toying with that is headed towards sheer terror? Two thoughts. Number one, if you don't know, you've covenanted with self-righteousness. Number two, if you do know, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Gets it out. Fight with me. Fight with me. God is calling us in, and he uses different tools at different times. This is what that last part of the passage might seem a little strange to you, right? Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he who continually open and harrow the ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put wheat in rows? It's like suddenly there's an agriculture lesson here. What is this? It's God is saying there's different tools for different times. He speaks to us in different ways. He woos us. And sometimes it's just through preaching. And sometimes it's through, you know, a, a, a song you've heard. Or sometimes just through reading the word or praying. Or sometimes... It's through pressure, through struggle, through pain. And this is what he's doing, right? You will hear the voice of God through people of strange lips. I am sending Assyria. It doesn't have to come to that. If you repent and hear me now. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Pain insists on being attended to. We can ignore pleasures. Pain and says, right? That's what we. There's more prayer in hospitals than in churches, it said. <laughs> we know that. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, C.S. Lewis says. He speaks in our consciousnesses, in our consciences. And he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So that's the moments of sheer terror, right? When God is saying, come to me. When I'm asking you, you may be there. I'm asking you, is where are those, 
ask God to show you where you have areas in your life. You go, it's just a, it's just a little sin. It's just a small seed. Ask him to show you where that's headed toward sheer terror and headed off at the past. It doesn't have to come to that. It doesn't have to come to humiliation, shame, spirit, regret. What have I done? Who have I been? Going to Christ, the sure foundation. He's the precious cornerstone. Peter tells us that. Quoting Isaiah, he says, Behold, referring to Jesus, I am laying in Zion a, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He says, will not be put to shame. Isaiah says, will not be in haste. So let's take Isaiah's words. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be in haste. What does that mean? Don't have a quick Flesh reaction to the things that are immediately easy and quick to hide in. Consider everything. Don't be hasty. Consider reality. Consider your soul. Consider God. Consider eternity. And, and then out of that, find a place of rest. The world has re been revealed as futile, invincible. Don't hastily run to the world and make a covenant with death and wisdom and knowledge and hearing the beckoning of God, go to Christ to make a covenant with life. That will not be in haste. And Peter says you won't be put to shame. Many of you are old enough to have had moments of sheer terror, or maybe young ones have, where you determined your path would go a certain way and then Things were revealed. And you would look back and go, you wish you had a time machine. <laughs> you know, like, you, you find yourself, I wish I had a time machine. I identify these times in my life and these habits and these decisions and these relationships and these words and these things that I made friend with that now have blossomed. And now I've, I've been revealed. And there's just a feeling of regret and shame humiliation, despair. Peter says, if you hide in Christ, that will never happen. You will not be put to shame. Why? Because he's enough. Listen to how God describes the covering of the world. Verse 20, the bed is too short. It's too short. You're an eternal soul. And the bed of the world is too short. It's too short for you. You know what that leaves you? Exposed. The covering is too narrow to wrap oneself in. It's too narrow. You're big. You're an eternal creature. Created in the image of God. Eternal appetites. Ever living, everlasting soul and spirit. You're trying to cover up with the little blanket of the world. And he says, you will be exposed. But in Christ, oh, he's sure and tested. He's big enough to cover me. Why, he's the infinite, eternal son of God. I might be an eternal being from here on out, but Christ was an eternal being in all directions. Eternally begotten, forever living, eternal forever. You won't be put to shame there. There's enough, there's enough blanket. 
There's enough covering. He has been tested. This stone, this foundation, it's a stone. It's a tested stone. And it's been revealed to be precious. What's precious about it? It's a sure foundation. Everything else, right when I quoted this pastor earlier who said, uh, it's a mercy to live in a time when everything is breaking. Why? Because it reveals the insufficiency. It's being tested. It's not precious. <laughs> it's not big enough. It will break. I'll be exposed. I'll be humiliated. But Christ has been tested, and he's found to be precious, a sure foundation. Now, there's several times throughout the scriptures where we see Christ being tested, right? When he's led out into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he's tested by Satan. But Satan is basically saying, take refuge in the world. Make a covenant with death. In Christ, of course, because he's holy and perfect and precious as no. He clings to his father. He was tempted in the garden. He was tested right, to avoid sheer terror. Instead, because of his trust in God, his love for his people, he went in into that sheer terror, right? The crucifixion, the murder, the humiliation to be uncovered, to be exposed, to be made to be sin. That's sheer terror. He took that for us. That's precious. And then the resurrection. He's bigger than the world. The resurrection demonstrated and proved many things, including that Christ is not bound by the world. No grave could ever restrain him. Right? He's bigger than, I need something bigger. This covering is insufficient. I need a bigger blanket. Oh, Christ, out of the tomb. He's sufficient. Sufficient for me, sufficient for you. Today's Christ's resurrection that stands out to me. It transcends the world. It stands in contrast to the futility and brokenness of the world when all is crumbling. What can hold? When the creation fails, we look to the creator. So I pray that you've listened to the spirit today, that he's pointed some things out to you. You'd be very concerned about a Christian life that doesn't have repentance in it. And again, let's ask God to give us the power not to move beyond lamenting, right? To lamenting. To lamenting? Hmm. <laughs> Excellent. I like that. That sounds, that sounds safe. Let's do this. I have a little more to share with you. I'm going to do it a little different today. I want to invite the musicians up and uh, have a reading I want to share with you. <clears throat> to be part of our response time. So it's time of response. You know, let it be <clears throat> a time when you continue to listen to the Spirit. Maybe you didn't hear anything during that time. Maybe I didn't show you something. Then continue listening. To maybe tell someone. And maybe that's later. But maybe it's now. You tell someone. Here is where I've been hiding. Fight with me. Pray with me.
confess, which is a step toward repentance. As usual, you can give. Thank you for those that support this ministry. Just thank you. Give online. We'll put a link in the uh, online this live stream so that you can get to it. Um, we're going to sing. We're going to take communion. So this is where we come and remember where Christ entered that sheer terror on our behalf, right? He took it for us. He entered that. And so we have these little handy snacks that we've been using. And uh, if you didn't get one, there'll be someone uh, in the center aisle, you know, with some of those in case you didn't get one on the way in. And just with yourself or with your family or friends, or maybe after you've con confessed some stuff, this is a time to take and remember, right? That that's where he entered the sheer terror. Jesus, when he was with the disciples, they were eating, he took the bread, right? And we had given thanks, he broke it. This represents his broken body. And he gave it to them, and he says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the place where Christ, again, entered that sheer terror, took it on our behalf to spare us from it. So let's come to him. He's good. We're covered in that blood. Finally, I want to just read. There's a reading I have here. It's by a pastor named S.M. Lockridge. And it focuses on the majesty of Christ. Because here's what he's calling us to, right? To, to that which transcends the world, which is bigger than this world. And so it's just a little description in his words of how God revealed Christ to him. So we're just going to sit and meditate, listen to this as our transition into response time. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of Lords. That's my king. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of his supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. 
He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He is the grandest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of historic theology. He's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He is the miracle of the age. He is the superlative of everything good that you can choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty God who gives and guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharged debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He is the gateway of glory. He is the master of the mighty. He is the captain of the conquerors. He is the head of the heroes. He is the leader of the legislatures. He is the overseer of the overcomers. He is the governor of governors. He is the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. That is my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. That's my king. He's incomprehensible. He is invincible and he is irresistible. I'm coming to tell you this that the heavens and earth can't contain him, much less some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him that is my king do you know him do you know my king this is Jesus his foundation is sure come and hide in him let's pray God help us draw us out irresistibly SM Lockridge says you're irresistible and we believe that. So would you reveal yourself by your spirit and erase choice? Would you set us free 
from the bondage of choice with irresistible power and beauty. Cause us to run to you, God.